0: Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Uh, hey, can you guys see me or no? Right now, we just see your name. It's wonderful, but that's all we see. Oh. Hey! Uh, uh, oh, and the fireplace! Look at that! Such a nice shot! Wow! I feel so warm and cozy. Now this. So- Look at that! The fireplace and everything. Oh, I- I do my consults here. Is that your, that's not your office. Is that your
1: office? No, no, it's just a room in my house. It's- uh, oh, oh. Oh, you do your virtual consults there? It, it just, uh, the, you know, the kids like the other rooms. It's
0: the only room that no one inhabits. That's, <laughs> that's, that's your space. So welcome, 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 welcome to Gross Anatomy, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movies, TV, the world around us, books. And today, um, I am still, I'm still Dr. Jason Cohen, and I'm joined by my co-host and our producer. Lauren Taylor. And I'm thrilled that we have my friend, Dr. Robert Ray, uh, as our guest uh, today. I really, really appreciate your saying, okay. I had to twist your arm and (laughs) beg you. Yeah, you know what?
1: it wasn't so when I asked you guys this help. Uh, I, I've been actually operating with this group of unbelievable, I've never seen the likes of them. This uh, group of uh, general surgeons, you know what, they, they, they behave like plastic surgeons, their exactness. You know, I did five years of general surgery, but it, you know, general surgeons are great, but you know, they're not like gynecologists, but they're not meticulous to every millimeter. So this group, of uh, general surgeons. Uh, they do all the scary things that general surgeons do, that plastic surgeons, you know, were too frou-frou to do, yet they have the exactness of a plastic surgeon and the friendliness of a psychiatrist. So <laughs> they've they been exceptionally open-armed. I'm at, uh, you know, this is my 30th year as a surgeon. So I'm joining the United States Navy as a Navy surgeon. I requested uh, combat duty with the Navy SEALs. So, uh, Navy asked me, Ray, kindly submit your surgical log for the last two years. My list re- uh, reads like, butt, but, but, mommy makeover, mommy makeover, penis, <laughs> mommy makeover, mommy makeover, penis, total body liposculture, a man, uh, butt augmentation on a man. You can surprise how many of those I do. Uh, so Navy had a nice chuckle and says, Dr. Ray, uh, you're pretty much guaranteed to come on in and join us, however. Would you kindly uh, shadow the general surgeons at your hospital for a couple of months and resubmit your surgical list?" The Navy's
0: very polite. I
1: think they're fighting back a a big, big
0: laugh. Maybe by your joining the, the military, you're gonna, like, put an end to war. Rather than fight, everybody's just gonna start looking hot and sexy, and they're all just gonna be hanging around and getting cosmetic surgery, and there's not gonna be any need for war anymore. Never mind the fact that Brazilians <laughs> and Americans are the same age,
1: 1492, of course, uh, America has its beginnings, Brazil 1500, exactly, Brazil has its beginnings. So about 500 years ago, Brazil has not started one war. So maybe
0: what He's you, Brazilian. you in I this <laughs> We, never, we don't even know how to make an atomic bomb. <laughs> but, you do know how to, but you do know how to make an amazing Brazilian
1: butt. Yes, and you'd be surprised how much peace to the world that brings. Yes. <laughs> so I think in the sands of Afghanistan, uh, if they can have one happy Brazilian smiling constantly, maybe you are right, Dr. Cohen. Maybe you are right. Maybe I will bring peace to that region because one thing Brazilians do very, very well is smile, be happy, no matter what's going on in our lives.
0: You know, so, so and, I, and I definitely want to get back to the military thing, but actually, let's just talk about it now. So why are you, what, what's, what is, where does it come from your desire to join the military now? Right, is right. it, are you going, I'm gonna be a little harsh, are you going through like a midlife crisis?
1: You know what, at the verbiage, you know how we start a surgical journal article, uh, there are some definitions of words, so when Brazilians say gringo, it's not what the uh, Mexicans referred to when they saw uh, when the American under Pershing, general Pershing, came across uh, the uh, border of New Mexico and Mexico looking for Pancho Villa. They saw that the Americans were wearing green uniforms at this point, very different than the Revolutionary War. Uh, and so they said, gringo, gringo. So, uh, it's very similar, it's very is similar. Their, is that really where gringo comes from? Yes. So it's a very similar language, but it's not exact. For example, in Espanol, know, of course, there are our, our uh, brothers and sisters and we love them. In Espanol, infocar uh, means to pay attention. In Portuguese, infocar means to choke somebody to death. So the two languages are very similar, yet they're not. So when we Brazilians say gringo is with a heart, and lots and lots of uh you know friendship and love so i was a petty thief (laughs) in a brazilian ghetto uh you know until you walk in my shoes don't judge me i stole to eat uh there were so many holes in that hut that at nighttime the vampire bats would dive down and try to bite the children that's where i was born in so there was no door there was a piece of wood against the hole my mom carried a 32 caliber short barrel pistol. Um, my mom was very pretty, and uh, on one occasion, I saw a drunken man trying to come into that hut and rape my mom, and I saw my mom shoot him three times. So, vis-a-vis <laughs> a very different upbringing than you guys had, uh, I was a petty thief. Uh, you know, I went to jail a couple times, and I did it to eat. One beautiful day, I heard. In the, in the wood of the hut, this. We go to the hut. So I see these two tall gringos, two meters tall. Remember, gringo, Portuguese is a good word. Uh, and I see with the blue eyes, which I'd never seen before. And in those days, CIA ran South America and actually ran it okay. Uh, and uh, we thought, CIA? No, Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and, they saw the terrible situation in my house, and they came to my father and says, uh, Mr. Ray, in Portuguese of course, you know things are really bad here. Soon I'm going back home, and I would like to invite you, uh, if I may take these children and raise them in Orem, Utah. So keep in mind, a petty thief who had been to jail twice. Suddenly- How years, old were you? I was, I was at, uh, 12. Okay. Prime in Brazil, when you're in Copacabana, it's not the adults. Be aware of the children on the beach. The crime will be perpetrated by children. So, uh, you know, I go from carrying a pistol at 12 underneath my clothing to uh, being in pristine arm Utah. The guy who adopted me is Orson Scott Card. If you Google Orson Scott Card, there are 52 books at Barnes and Nobles. He became a famous fiction writer, Anders Game. 47 years ago, knocked on my door in Brazil and adopted me. Wow. wow. Is it surprising that I end, up tele- I end
0: up in television many decades later? It's not surprising. So he he, so re- he adopted that. you. Orson Orson Scott Card adopted Orson you. Scott Card. The whole story is unbelievable. Knocked on my door. I read his book. America. I read Andrew's Game.
1: Did you read it? Uh, uh, parts of it. I saw the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott wrote it. So... Ah. The family owned a little theater in Orham, Utah. And I had to participate in the theater. I had to play small parts. We had to help. It was a mom and pop theater. That is where the scene of television, starts in my heart. It's amazing how, if you really took a critical look at life, things kind
0: of make sense. So and, how many uh, of you were there? What's that? How many kids were there? Uh, they had nine and they adopted four of us. You and your brother?
1: Yeah, and, and two sisters, wow. And what
0: happened to your mom?
1: You know what, it's a different world, so I, I don't want us to, to judge my parents. My dad was a monster, but I don't want you to judge my parents through our modern eyes. My mom gave us away, never called us again. She didn't come back. They didn't offer to relocate her? So you're stuttering because you're a dad and it's, it's not
0: possible for us today no. to
1: die. No, 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 they,
0: they, they didn't offer to take her up to America no so it's it's very difficult for us very
1: involved parents I know Jason you're amazingly involved uh, Dr. Ellenwood is amazingly involved we're all I mean every second their lives were involved we're almost right. help to dads uh, right but it's incomprehensible to our mind today to think that my mom uh, just gave us away yeah. and never and never called so but she so wanted to you to have a better life Yes, that is a sacrifice they made. So right. there were no, you know, and I with no electricity. I don't have to explain. There are no telephones, yeah. and uh, so it's uh, it's a different world. The I think I had the lowest SAT score in my high school, but I ended up graduating from Harvard.
0: <laughs> did you so, call? Did you call him Dad, or did you call him Orson? Uh,
1: no, he was the son. So his dad. So he, he was a young man at the time. He was. Uh, oh. So he comes back from a Mormon mission, bringing four little Latin kids.
0: Oh, wow. Who does that? Who does no, he's that? Like your, so, he's like a brother to you.
1: He's a brother to me, and his father, Willard uh, Card, is the one, and Peggy, his mom, both passed away. Uh, they are the ones who adopted four. So, now, see this picture. My dad, if I did something wrong, my God, I'm kind of unplugged today. My dad, if I did something wrong, my dad would take me outside, Tied me to a tree and beat me with an electric cord. Many times I saw my father, my parents fighting with knives. So it's a very different world. It's not possible in the American bubble to comprehend life outside this bubble. It's just incomprehensible. So um, now, in contrast, uh, look at my uh, American parents and you wonder why I requested combat duty. My Mormon mom, and it doesn't matter the religion, There's so many good people here. Look, I do all my missions with uh, Orthodox Jews like runaways. We go yeah. all the little missions. Um, my uh American mom, when I had the flu, would hold me as her own son. Yeah. So you know, we didn't even know hygiene. I didn't I was shocked that you take a shower more than twice every two weeks, that more than once every two weeks. So here's a smelly Latin American scrawny kid that she loved as much as her blue eyed children. So it took me a long time to comprehend this. Yeah. And um, so today, of course, my children think I'm insane. Of course, everyone (laughs) thinks I'm insane, but uh, I graduated from Harvard. I had a hit television show, America the Beautiful, thank you. Thank you for taking a scrawny, Latin American, dirty child with a girl's voice <laughs> and metro hair and graduating from your top universities. Uh, you know, my kids were raised in a mission, going to school in Italian cars. Uh, it, it's, uh, so at the end of my life, my kids are grown. <laughs> I think my wife has her own plans and um, so, Instead of playing, uh, you know, drinking, uh, you know, if you're raised in Utah, you're not gonna drink. Instead of uh, playing cards, smoking and drinking in Las Vegas in my old age, I'm going to be in Afghanistan. And this is the phone call. I can encapsulate everything in this scenario. Phone call somewhere in Oklahoma. Hello? Mrs. Smith? Oh, yes, yes. This is Dr. Ray. I am the head surgeon here in the machine in Afghanistan. <gasps> How's my boy doing? Mrs. Smith, I got your boy. Not only is he gonna do okay, he's gonna come home prettier than he was. <laughs> was so it's funny, but unless you're that mom, then it's not yeah. that Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's gonna get a senior surgeon who, thank you for your group, is bringing back my general surgery. These guys are so exact, it scares me. They literally operate like plastic surgeons inside the body. So I'm getting all that back, plus the robotics, which was introduced later.
0: They're gonna get, a, usually they get guys who are out of residency or in residency. How right, scary is brand that? New, brand new, rough around the edges kids.
1: Oh, you know, we were, that study shows that you do most of your, you get mostly lawsuits the first few years. And I can see yeah. why, because they're, you know, they're not ready. They're still okay. green. So they're gonna yeah. get, that mom in Oklahoma is gonna have a loving surgeon. <laughs> has excellent hands and that boy is gonna come home not only healthy, but all his burns and his wounds. That's great. the best that it's humanly possible to repair.
0: When are you hoping to go?
1: So um, they say that I should be commissioned about uh, November, December. Wow. I guess, no, no, So I, no, I, I will go after my boy graduates from high school. So I have two more years, but I'm on, I'm on it, you know, you're reserved. At my age, you can only be a reservist. Right. But as a reservist, you have an option of doing three months of combat. The Navy will use you till you're 64, uh, and I'm 58. So uh, when my boy graduates from college, I am, uh, I'm going to go to combat. I'm going to go to Afghanistan, or whatever America needs me. <laughs> Did you as a kid want, always want to be a doctor? Uh, you know what? Uh, in Brazil at that era, uh, Pitangui, you guys don't know him. It was a famous plastic surgeon. Brazil only had two things, really, soccer and plastic surgery. So, every boy in of Brazil either wanted to be uh, a soccer player or a plastic surgeon. So, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon way before I wanted to be a doctor.
0: How are you as uh, a soccer I, I didn't player? If
1: I plastics, I probably would have left medicine.
0: Are you a good soccer player?
1: Uh, you know, subsequently, Brazilians also became world leaders in fighting. So, uh, I am much better at fighting. Of course, Brazilians, uh, Jorge and Gracie started the UFC with Dana White. So uh, uh,
0: what well, I don't have 100% in soccer. I certainly make up in the, in the fighting. So what do you think you would have done had you not become a plastic surgeon?
1: You know what? Uh, I know many uh, conquistadores that when they, um, when they uh, arrived at the destination, they burnt all their ships. So there was no plan B. Plan B is for losers. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, I burn all the all the ships. It's either I make it in Hollywood or I die. It's either I uh, go to Afghanistan or I die.
0: So how did, so you you were like the first TV doctor. You know, now there are a zillion shows, but you were really the first, right? I, I don't, you were the first Dr. 90210 and the first one with any kind of medical show, weren't you? So I wrote Dr. 90210
1: uh, when I was in residency. So you had and- the idea yourself during, during residency. I wrote Dr. 90210. Right. I think variety, the article variety. Uh, what do you mean you wrote it? It was a script, you wrote a script or a I pitch? A yes. I wrote a script and I, I trademarked at the Screenwriters Guild. Right. So I think I finished in 1996, uh, I finished writing it.
0: So were and, you always, did you always have an interest in Hollywood and, and theater and acting too because, because of Scott. your, what? Because
1: of Scott, because Orson Scott Card. <laughs> right, right. in his house and working at his little fam- uh, mom and pop theater. It, it was, it became part of me in those latent years. It became part of me. So, yeah. uh, you know, they're almost diametrically opposite. So much science and so much creativity and you know, a touch of fighting in there. So it seems like they cannot live together, but, but they can. Isabella, uh, the queen of Spain, is perhaps my, my greatest hero. Uh, she was an explorer. She liked sciences, the arts. So the era, I think, of the Renaissance person, I think is perhaps past,
0: but- I like, I like to reference Anton Chekhov. He was a playwright, but he was also a physician.
1: Mm-hmm. You see, or maybe it's coming. Maybe the Renaissance era is coming back because we're seeing people that are not so focused. You know, computer science. They have other interests,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think it's it's refreshing. Yes. So you wrote it in residency. You said you finished it in residency. I started. I studied at Marge Haber Academy, same place where Brad Pitt was. Uh, I studied drama there, and uh, upon graduating, I started. You know, uh, shopping the show around. And I remember, I won't say the channels were very rude to me, (laughs) NBC. (coughs) slammed the door in my face. I still remember the chubby guy there, Um, how rude he was to me. And we shopped at ABC, CBS, NBC, everywhere.
0: Just by yourself, or did you have an agent?
1: No, I had done a piece for uh, Discovery Health. I had had done a butt augmentation for Discovery Health, and I met this wonderful uh, producer on that show. Uh, And uh, uh, um, he... Had you know been in Hollywood for a while, he had the connections. So we started shopping around. It was Rick Lee, his name. Uh, he did Home Improvement with Tim yeah, Allen.
0: He was good. the director
1: on Home Improvement. How lucky is that to draw him? Uh, yeah. Show me about uh, on a butt um, augmentation on Celebrity uh, on Discovery Health. So we shopped it around, and you know we, we don't get discouraged. Uh, I operate with you guys. I know you guys don't get discouraged. But we have basically knocked on everyone's door. But there was this little tiny channel, it just started, E Entertainment Networks. <laughs> and uh, I uh, had done a trans on the, how's this for luck? The gal, now he is much bigger now, but he used to be smaller. The, as you came into E Entertainment, the secretary that received you, I did her trans which was unheard of. How can you do the breast without cutting anything? So she would blabber to every director that would come in to Eve. Oh, I have my breast done by this new doctor who did it without cutting me. Wow. Sure enough. Gosh, my whole life is defined by Knox. Uh, <laughs> is this little tiny TV station knocking my door? E Entertainment Networks. Make a long story short, I think I made him half a billion dollar, dollars. Uh, e, uh, Dr. 90210, uh, which finished about uh, 2012. How many uh, years did it run for? From it, it's, in some countries, it's still, it's still playing in some countries, so it never quite ended. But um, it started in 2004. But the bulk of it was done in 2012. And um, we, How many years uh, were you on the show? I don't even remember. But it's, uh, I, we were in 173 countries. Yeah. We made a lot of money for entertainment. There was no reality TV. There was one show before us. We were lucky. Lucky you even made it to air on any station. Yeah, it turned out we became a big deal. Doctor, I know, to became a big deal. Uh, and uh, today, I have some freedom to do some fun
0: things. Yeah. Because uh, you know, do you I still have you still tried since then? Tried to do other medical TV stuff. You know, I uh,
1: of course in many countries I do many things in many different countries, uh, many many different markets. So. I did Celebrity Plastic Surgeons, which is on Netflix. Uh, So you can still find it, uh, uh, Celebrity Plastic Surgeons. But uh, you have one hit. It's amazing. If you get two hits in your life. So I have two hits Celebrity Plastic Surgeons, Dr. Narita Leno. But what people forget is all the years I was in acting school, I chose to come to Beverly Hills. There are states that have two plastic surgeons at the time. There were 77 plastic surgeons just on the uh, on the golden triangle of where i had my office yeah so as i'm leaving beth israel deaconess you know harvard medical school my last day of fellowship uh dr wolford passed away he says ray are you sure you want to go to la you're going to the most one in 12 of the world's plastic surgeons i did the math for you ray one in 12 of the world's plastic surgeons are going to be two miles from your office and I said, no, no, doctor, look outside. You see that Mustang that you has a hole in the bottom? You can see the asphalt underneath it. Everything I own is in that car, doc. So I have nothing to lose. I'm already at rock bottom. So yeah. I turned my car west <laughs> from Boston. Obviously, Beth Israel's in Boston. And I came to LA. And uh, what I noticed is I've gotten older. I've gotten more careful. So I wrote eight other shows, which were failures. You know what I'm saying? So people yeah. realized... Uh, the risk of going to LA, uh, the criticism of everyone in the family, the, uh, all the turns in the economy that came and went. People don't realize, they only see the success. Oh, well, you know, he's a well to do doctor, and, you know, he's had some hit television shows. They don't see how humiliating it is for a doctor to take time to go to acting school with all the actors there. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of humiliating parts in all of this. How about the shows I had that were failures? How about the hate mail? Uh, you know, how many death threats I got? I think I got eight. One arrived. It was so cool. It arrived in the cut newspaper letters. I mean, it's like a movie. (laughs) Hey, Ray, I'm going to throw acid in your face and bomb your house because you had a mixed couple on your show. Did you call the police? Wow. So the death threats from a stupid TV show. How about all the criticism from other physicians? I used to get bags and bags and bags of hate mail. You know, I come out of, again, Beth Israel Deaconess, which is in Boston. And I remember when I was speaking, Harvard has very traditional scrubs, either white, uh, light blue, or uh, light uh, green. So when I would finish the family talk, which is very bloody and the blood's here, I would come out and say, look, uh, as the chief resident, I would say, hey, your uh, daughter has done very well. She'll be ready to go home in an hour. The shock in the family's face. So as I come out of, as I come out to LA, I go to my little tailor, who's Russian. I said, Valentina, yes, master? Stop calling me master. Valentina, <laughs> give me a huge favor. Yes, master. Uh, Russian, um, would you sew me a black scrub? And by the way, can you take off the sleeves? Because in a tra- very traditional scrubs, we have such a routine for washing our hands. Yes, the sleeve is here, and every surgeon knows that the sleeve will drip on your hands. So I said, Valentina, I want you to tailor it to me, Saul, I don't have one right now. Uh, All my scrubs have a zipper. They're totally tailored to me because many people will touch the back table without knowing. And they're sleeveless and they're black. So you can imagine the amount of hate mail I got. You know, Ray, you have a great technique, but you dress like a mafioso. 30 plastic (laughs) surgeons, each (laughs) one bought bought a flight ticket. Famous plastic surgeon, I won't tell you who it is. 30 of the world's most famous plastic surgeons paid a flight to go to Sacramento to ask the medical board to remove my license because albeit I had very good technique. I mean, how can you argue with Harvard? Um, I, uh, my comportment was not consistent with that of a surgeon. The medical board, which hates surgeons, right? Because they're all uh, anesthesiologists at the time. Um, the secretary told the head of the medical board, Ray's a really cool guy. He's really loving to his patients. He's a really dedicated guy. So the medical board basically just sneezed at them, so the story goes. They all came home, tail between their legs. So being a pioneer, you guys, has a good side, because if you win, you win very big, but has a very scary side, because if you fail, you fail very big. Uh, If it's going to be (coughs) some medical dissertation, i try tried that. When I was on Discovery Health, I was very medical. The show will get one. When right. you take a few chances, when you dress a little differently, yes, when you walk into that operating room, it's absolutely serious. But if you show your dog pooping on the carpet, your wife yelling at, at you, that's how I wrote the show because I come from a generation Marcus Welby, where you see this perfect looking doctor who is perfectly poised, who has perfect English, who never makes a single mistake in surgery, and no one could relate to him. So the yeah. way I wrote the show was this. Yes, there are great marcus welby's in the world but when we go home our dog also poops
0: on the carpet our wives also yell at us and we all hate our mother-in-law so that was that was the just of the show no no no. i'm actually very 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 lucky i have an amazing mother-in-law wow you stand as a single guy in the entire history (laughs) do you mentor do you teach do you have you had disciples do you have any younger docs in your practice
1: I have a course uh, which this year I'm going to move to Harvard, uh, which is uh, facial harmonization, where I teach uh, other doctors who are not plastic surgeons uh, to do simple facial things like you know the lipid nose uh, augmentation, the liquid rhinoplasty, lips—simple things that we really busy surgeons are never going to have time to do. How many times I try to do it, I never get around to doing it. Uh, I did 35 surgeries last week, so we're you know, we're very, very, very busy. So there are dentists, maxillofacial, ENT, family physicians. And uh, so the course which I've uh, heretofore have taught in Orlando now moving to Harvard because I can actually get a Harvard diploma and uh, for the weekend course. So yeah, I, I've had students all my life, both in, uh, in martial arts and, uh, you know, not all my life, all my professional life, I should say and uh, also in medicine, so. Are you a sole practitioner? Or do you have a junior partner or a partner or anything like that? You know, I understand why you guys uh, have associates, because your job is really, really, really difficult and can occur in time. But we, plastic surgeons, we have loose associations. Like, you know, in my Orlando clinic, I'm a very friendly doctor that takes and drains out for me. I think it drains out for his patients here. Um, same thing in Santiago Chile, same, same thing in Brazil, same thing in Mexico City, Zurich. Everywhere I have a clinic, uh, I have somebody who keeps an eye, but it's a very loose association.
0: But you're I g I you are you you have built such an amazing brand. You don't you don't think about possibly passing it on to somebody?
1: You know, we're in talks right now uh, about creating you know Dr. 902 and types of clinics, you know, where everyone's dressed in black and uh, we're, we're, we're discussing it right now. Cause you know, I'm on that last decade.
0: <laughs> I want to know. So I, I've, uh, I've been in the OR a bunch of times with you, assisting you or helping you on, and a few things I've noticed is that a, you're super fast, way faster than most surgeons, but yet, despite the fact that you're super, although a lot of plastic surgeons I notice are super fast, but despite the fact that you're super fast, You're an amazing surgeon. Like I've been, I've told people, I'm like, this guy is so fast, but he's so good. Um, And then I've seen a lot of your patients, you know, post-op, you know, coming in for other stuff, and your outcomes are amazing. And and I'm and I'm not just saying that because you're you're doing this for me. And I'm not just saying that. I, I you know when people ask me about you, I say I've seen your outcomes and they're fantastic. Uh, and and I'm amazed at your speed, because I'm like, I'm like the turtle. You do amazing things in a
1: very scary place where the anatomy is barely identifiable. It's really scary, the spaces you guys work in. And, uh, you know, for sure, the best doctors in the world are general, are general surgeons. I'm so glad I had an opportunity to do general surgery as well, because that really made me a great surgeon. I, I, I just yell from the mountaintop, you guys, general surgeons are the best, most well-rounded doctors in existence. If you're on an island and you could choose one doctor, we know which one's not to choose, right? <laughs> but uh, the general surgeon will be able to do everything. He can do everything. He can even uh, find his way around the brain. Anyhow, uh, but plastic surgery, there's a lot of feel to it. If from here down, it's like the doll of Wimbledon. Uh, You Wimbledon. Know, the top 100 plus uh, tennis players, you can teach them. But the top 10, you're born with it. So from here, you have to have that thing in your soul, that thing. And um, otherwise you'll be pretty good, but you won't be the best. So if you're born with that thing, in Portuguese it's called ginga, you have to have the ginga. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you have to have that. You have to understand art. You have to understand beautiful things. Uh, so you have to know all that, but we are grounded in science. so. Some of the procedures in plastic surgery are the riskiest ones in all of surgery. For what reason? Well, blood clots, for example. And uh, so speed, the longer that person is on that table, the higher the chance of of them getting a blood clot. Many of my patients are from Australia, they're from London. So they already flew half a day or a day. So they're already the blood clot. So we're very, very fast. Because we we want to minimize. They're not really asleep. They're hovering above death. The anesthesiologists gonna tell you this. They're not asleep. They're hovering above death. We know how to make people hover above death. So uh, and uh, so we don't want we don't want them to be in that state too long. We want them to uh, you know we want them to to have a great result as fast as possible without cutting you know uh, any without uh, you know doing everything correctly. Okay,
0: not cutting any corners. How how many kids do you have? I do. Do you do, what do you encourage them or do you not encourage them profession-wise, career-wise? Have you tried to lead them one way or the other? No, you're
1: being very tricky here. You know that (laughs) if your kid told you they want to go into medicine, you would disown them. So come on, doctor, be honest. And uh, that is the standard operating practice among all surgeons. If our kids even utter the word medicine, uh, remember you guys, for millennia, The shaman was revered in that community. And uh, today, there are ambulance chasers who uh, are praying that you make a mistake. Imagine having a show where there are, you know, how many people watch. It wasn't all over Asia. It was all over India. What's the mathematics of how many people watch Dr. 90210? So conservatively, you would have say there are 5,000 lawyers watching. 5,000 lawyers watching. So that's another drawback of having a television show. And, uh, you know, whereas uh, shaman were revered throughout history, today uh, we are seen as an ATM. And uh, there was a time that patients would come in, put a little dog poop into their incision, they get their surgery free and become a millionaire. Uh, and that is the misguided patient. How about the, the lawyers that, like vultures, uh, uh, chase us down? And American doctors are the best in the world. I do understand the mathematics. How can the, best uh, a medical group in the world, American doctors, be the most prosecuted. I, I do not understand that mathematics. It would seem to me that the worst doctors in the world, residency, residency in Brazil is like two years, two days a week. In America, I did eight years of residency, 24 hours, seven days a week. In Brazil, it's two days a week, half a day. And then they go work at the emergency room to feed their families. And they're, they're graduating when they have 500 cases. In my class right. of surgery program, if you didn't have 5,000 cases, forget it. Don't even, don't, don't even ask to graduate, even if it took a decade. How can the best trained doctors in the world, the kindest, uh, uh, most selfless doctors in the world, be the most prosecuted in the world? So uh, I, don't, I don't want my kids to live... You know, Jason won't tell you this, but we live in fear day and night. It, it never ends. We always worry about some patient's incision and some patient's breathing and so-and-so walking and so-and-so coughing, uh, A, because we were doctors, we're concerned, but also because we live in a frying pan. And if you jump off the frying pan, you're on the fire. So luckily I've had a, you know, a clean career. This is my 30th year. And uh, so uh, no way would I allow my kids to go into a profession like that. I can because I'm a favela rat, and you you know, uh, garbage rats you can't kill. But my kids, you know, they were raised in privilege; they're perhaps a little more, you know, maybe a little, a
0: little more delicate. It scares me because two out of three of my daughters—I uh, have three girls—are somewhat interested in medicine, and 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 I don't want to discourage them because if they're truly interested in it, you know, they'll they'll be okay, but. No, I'd rather they go, hesitation. but I tell them I'd rather they That's go into the yard.
1: Guy. He doesn't huh? know what he's saying. You he looking at his eyes flying everywhere <laughs> and he's stuttering and he's shifting his chair. You know, yeah, we have talked about like malpractice and how much stress and anxiety doctors have nowadays. And <laughs> I never thought about it from your perspective, just being the best in the world and being the most prosecuted. It is wrong. And it. It's, no, and Jason and I, uh, we represent the best in our profession. And Jason and I, we have this little smile on our faces, but there are days in the dark that we cry. I can't believe that patient has walked in three days. I told you, I have to walk every four hours. So now she's taking time bomb. It's by the grace of God, really, by the grace of God that I have a clean record, I have zero deaths, and that's not possible. Mm-hmm. The crazy things patients do. So it's not bad care, it's not uh, the science is behind, it's not the hospital wasn't, they do the craziest things.
0: The patients do the craziest things. So, um- are you a big movie TV fan? Or Are you into any shows or anything like that? You know what?
1: Uh, it's such a different way of thinking. So this is the part where the show's probably gonna end. Um, so uh, happiness, I don't really do anything for happiness. So I'm constantly working on something uh, right. because my kids understand happiness. My kids take wonderful trips, you know, but I, as somebody who, Basically, Swim to America.
0: So you just uh, have to keep working.
1: Happiness is not, uh, uh, it, we, we don't have a receptor for happiness. It's like if you're born blind, <clears throat> it makes explains the color red. So I'm constantly working on something, you guys.
0: But you, you love your work, and your work makes you happy, for sure.
1: Aha, uh-huh. never thought about that, doctor, yeah. So
0: yeah.
1: for us to Swim to America, it is that someday I will stand before my God, whatever you call him, Allah, whatever you call him, Jesus Christ, Mohammed, whatever you call him. I, I, or theory, her, whatever you call her. Her. My theory is that Mary Magdalene, my favorite one from the scriptures, um, whatever you call this supernatural creature, and say, dear Lord, you, I don't know why you made those Americans knock on my door. I don't know how you get into Harvard with one of the worst SATs in history. There was, one, there was one, uh, one Halloween where the number one costume in the world, in America, was Dr. Manuel Tumano. Wow. I don't uh, know how it's possible <laughs> that I, you know, basically, you know, I'm, I swim to America. What can I tell you? Yeah. So uh, when I stand before my God and he gave me all these blessings, I wanna be able to say, yes, I was a little feminine, sorry. <laughs> I dressed a little strange but every day I help somebody so I leave surgery I go to 7-Eleven I buy a sandwich protein drink healthy an apple I put some money and scriptures in a bag and every night I pray to God dear Lord help me find somebody who needs help tonight I could be dead tired from surgery it never misses there's always somebody under some bridge somewhere that I help I, many of them I even know my first name now um, that's every day. Uh, we try. He and I have given millions away. Uh, I go on more humanitarian missions than possible. Usually before pandemic, basically every week or every two weeks, I will go on another one. Do you ever bring I your kids? What's that? Do you ever bring your kids It It's very scary. I mean, I have a whole, I have 18 boys in Brazil, you know, armed to the teeth, but still it's not safe. Right. So, um, no, I don't go to
0: movies. I don't have any friends. I- I think you should probably write a book if you haven't already. Yeah. I have it. Google Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> you have a problem. I uh, have Barnes All right. What was
1: the book? Dr. Ray Barnes and Nobles. So it's just a story of my life.
0: Oh, and, that's awesome.
1: Um, because I wanted to write a book by a loser. If you walk into Barnes and Nobles, there are very few left. It's so sad. But if you walk into Barnes and Nobles, you're going to get, you know, uh, Connors writing his book and Borg and Adele's going to write his books and uh, Tiger Woods is going to write a book. I wanted a book written by a loser so that kids who are not perfect successes can say, look, Dr. Ray applied six times to Harvard. He got in, you know, he was rejected five times. Uh, you know, I was below uh, 50% of the class. I was below 50% of my medical class. So I knew I was an idiot, so I got a master's degree, went to write speeches for Sierra Coop, the Surgeon General of the United States, then the Surgeon General of the United States writes me a letter of recommendation. then I get into every plastic surgery program in America. If you were born the son of a janitor, with, with you know, a so-so brain, read my book, because here is the most successful loser in the world. And I don't want you to write, I want you to read a a winner's book because everything they touch, you know, of course, The Son of King is going to be a success. I want you to read a book written by The Son of a janitor.
0: I'm going to put that as a homework assignment for myself. I will read that. I want to read that. (laughs) But I don't, but I'm not going to read a loser's book. I'm going to read a winner's book. I know. You're such a winner.
1: (laughs) But think about how many books at the bookstore uh, are written by a loser. I want a book written by a loser. Because if you <laughs> fail to think, just wipe your tears and get back up. The definition of success is uh, today the new definition of success is the person that is knocked down seven times and gets up eight. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> that's the definition of success.
0: What are your kids interested in?
1: Well, uh, my daughter is a media reporter. It makes sense. She was raised on television, uh, so she's a Sarah Lawrence, and then she's gonna apply to Harvard uh, journalism program. Yay! So, and then my son. Uh, kind of maybe between a veterinarian, but for real, he's in high school. You know, every little kid's going to be a veterinarian. But my son, yeah. uh, a veterinarian, or uh, he may be a director.
0: He was, okay. he, actually,
1: he was literally, remember that episode where he was literally born on Dr. Nine? Literally, the cameras were, Haley just asked that, please pan above my knees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, Robbie was literally born on television oh wow god gave me a saint for a son i don't know why um you know i i was born with a rebellious spirit and i learned to religion to uh have discipline my son was just born good isn't that amazing how god will send you a really good child so my greatest example is my own son is that crazy That's i mean great. my greatest role model is my son That's very and, Dad, you know, I went fishing with him, and I said, "Dad, you know what? I'm grateful that he, you know he took time off and going fishing. But, uh, you know, think about it. How about putting a hook for fun into a little creature's mouth and calling that a good day? So, you know, I never even, it never even occurred to me, and uh, I was just awed by his maturity. And more importantly, that's what's so good about the Generation X, right? They're they're kinder and gentler, and." Uh, they worry about more other people. I think the millennials as well. My generation is, well, you know, I need to succeed, otherwise I'm just to be a loser. But uh, <laughs> in their generation, I notice it doesn't matter. I said, Robbie, you know, I'm, you know, I do the alum interviews for Harvard for, you know, more than a decade. You're, you know, you're, you're a legacy. You get, you get in, no dad, I am not really interested. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a, they're not interested in objects, right? They're not yeah. interested in plaques on the wall. It's such a... So my son, I, I just, I'm in awe when I'm around my son, because uh, you know he taught me. Like says, Dad, don't step there. I said, Why, Robbie? There's a little trail of hands passing there. It's just such wow. kindness, you know. It just, uh, I just like adorable. I come from such a rough generation, you know. Well, like I said, I carried a pistol at twelve. And uh, Brazil was very, very rough and tumble, like the
0: West, like American West in the East. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This this was great. I really, really appreciate it, Rob.
1: Doc, uh, if I I called my own general surgery program and I said, look, you know, you know, they kind of worship me because it's you know their graduate who made it big. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Doctor Ray, but you know, it's a complicated somebody who has general surgery years and years and years for us to allow you to operate here. But I'm trying to serve the United States for free. I'm not even going to accept their salary. Yeah. Well, you know, it's Harbor, it's county, it's complicated. But when I went to you, doctor, there was no hesitation. If I ever make my dream of serving America in combat, I will owe to that smiley, always happy little group who accept me with open arms. And, it, it, you know, I was raised by general surgeons too. They were monsters. Yeah. You know, if, uh, if <laughs> psychiatrists were allowed to roam programs in my generation of surgeons, man, these guys all be committed to locked units. Oh, yeah. uh, I was really, literally, when I was the Mayo Clinic as an intern, I was literally be- beaten by, by the attendants. They would hit you with, uh, with a diver. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they were so humiliating, they were infinitely racist. Do you guys have scissors in your country? I remember presenting at, uh, it's a different Mayo Clinic now. Yeah, Uh, Methodist Hospital at the the Mayo Clinic, it's a different area. You know, it's it's full of people. And unless I misunderstood him, he says, uh, is it true that uh, all Latin people cook pig in the bathtub? grand rounds and I, you know, and it, it, I, I, you know, now I had, I had a Harvard degree and I, I just, I thought, well, now I'm finally to a level where, you know, uh, I can look these people in the eye and not be a yeah. see. And uh, the whole crowd laughing. Yeah. And uh, I remember that day I looked down to my little le- list when we still wrote things down. And my 23 patients, I still remember 23 patients on the service, one tear fell and blurred all my patient presentation. And uh, it, it uh, you know, it's one, of those, it's one of those moments in life where, you know, you either you break down into a blob and a mess or you man up. Yeah. And uh, that was the day that I, you know, decided to man up and uh, the rest is history. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I anticipate and hope we're going to be seeing you in the OR the next few weeks, yes. if not longer, exactly. right? So, uh, so today I clinic, but uh, tomorrow I'm going to be there. Uh, tomorrow I have surgery, but after surgery I'm going
1: to be there. Okay, and, cool. Uh, you know, every moment that I have uh, free, I'm going to go there. I don't want to disappoint the Navy. Okay, great.
0: Well, thank you so so much. much.
1: You've been very inspiring. And I'm sure all our medical student listeners will really enjoy this podcast. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Ray.
1: Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Bye.
1: Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.